the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Christ is in our midst. Um, I'd actually like to pose a question, and I'd like some answers, but not from any of the teens. Not from any of the teens. Not from anybody who was at our Soyo meeting last Sunday night. So, what I want to know is, if somebody asks you, what does Christmas mean, what do you say? What do you think of? What does Christmas mean? Okay, the birth of Christ, incarnation of God, time with your family. What else? What else do you think of? What would you? Exp- how would you explain it? Christ is born. Christ is born. Oh, that's uh, that's going next level. The advent of the hypostatic union. I was not expecting that answer. All right. Okay. Good. So, uh, I'm very pleased to report that you fall in the category of about less than one-tenth of one percent of Americans who think about the divine Son of God taking on human flesh when, it, when you think about Christmas and try to explain what it means. Most people, most people would talk about a cute little baby laying in a, in a feeding trough in a manger wrapped in swaddling cloths. Most people talk about Christmas trees, ornaments, presents, family, Christmas carols, Christmas cookies, Christmas movies. Oh my gosh, there are so many Christmas movies. Um, All these other things that are associated but are really secondary or tertiary. Right? There's your SAT word. Okay? But now I'll ask the teens. Now I'll ask the teens. When you try to explain Christmas, what's the most succinct way to explain it? God with us. God with us. We have a winner. (laughs) Somebody was paying attention last Sunday night. Good job, Elisha. Good job. We heard it in the gospel reading. His name shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is the prophecy of Isaiah 7.14. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. All those other cultural things, I'm going to put them in the cultural category. Some things have spiritual meanings. A Christmas tree actually does have a spiritual meaning. It relates to the cross of Christ. However, all those cultural things that we think of often fall short in some way of the heart of the message that Christmas is about God with us. God with us. God looks at His creation. He looks at His creatures who are just falling all over themselves in sin. We're always coming to God like, Hey, oops! And He's like, Stop it! (laughs) But He looks at us and He says, I'm with you. I'm with you. Right? I'm with you. And we say, How does that happen? Here's how it happens. 
God is a community of three persons. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There is a divine nature, and they are uncreated. They are uncreated. Everything else is created, right? Two modes of existence, uncreated and created. And the uncreated God loves us so much that He created us. And then He loves us so much that He gave us freedom. And when we took that freedom and threw it back in His face and said, no thank you, we will handle this ourselves, He said, yeah, right, good luck with that. And when, when we lost paradise because of our sin, God said, I want you back. I want you to be with me. And so the second person of the Trinity, the divine Son and Word of God, took flesh and dwelt among us. John 1.14 is one of the most important verses in the Bible. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. If you were at our uh, Sunday school on Saturday nights a year ago, you would have memorized that verse with us. This is what Christmas is about. The Word takes flesh and dwells among us so that He can die on the cross, descend to Hades, free the captives, rise from the dead, defeat death, ascend to heaven, and take us back to be with Him for all eternity. Christmas is about God saying, I want to be with you and I want you to be with me. But there is an ontological, existential problem called death. And it is now hardwired into the system. And God comes and rewires the system so that we can be with Him. The most amazing, earth-shattering event took place when the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Typically, like during the spring, there will be lots of graduation speeches and people will tell high school graduates, go change the world! Oh! And that is like such a load of baloney. Because, first of all, 18-year-olds won't change the world for better. We know that. And secondly, the world is what it is. There were two things that changed the world. Number one, when God created it. And number two, when He took flesh and dwelt among us. That was a paradigm shifter. Right? That changed the game. That completely changed the game. We went from playing a soccer match with death and the devil that was 1 versus 11 to now playing 1 million against 11 in favor of us. Because God is with us. And God is way more powerful than death and the devil. As St. Paul says, if God is with us, who can be against us? And frankly, if God is with us, then everything in our life can make sense. If God is with us, we now have a way to understand everything. The good, the bad, and the ugly. 
The times of joy and the times of suffering. Because our God is the only God who descends from heaven and comes to His creatures and suffers among them. He's the only God who understands the experience of suffering the way that we suffer. He is not detached. He is not removed. He is close to us. And if God is with us in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of those times of pain and hardship, then we are not alone. Like, it might seem a little self-evident, but if God is with us, then we are not alone, and one of our biggest fears in life is actually being alone and suffering alone. Christianity is the only religion in which the God of the religion descends and humbles himself and comes to the people so that he can raise them up. Every other God is either abstract and detached or is an authoritarian dictator shooting thunderbolts from heaven. That's what other religions believe. But our God dwelt among us and walked among us. Today's gospel reading is very notable throughout the year. It's the only one on a Sunday where we simply read a long list of names. And a lot of people say, I don't get it. Well, if you read the Old Testament, you'll recognize a lot of those names. Maybe not all of them. Maybe you won't know all the backstory. But those are... The names of Jesus' family tree, from Abraham all the way to Joseph. Those are the names of the people in his family tree. And it shows that God really entered into a family. And yes, Jesus' family is a messy, flaming dumpster floating down a flooded street. Jesus entered into a toxic waste of a family that wasn't perfect, had some saints and a lot of sinners, and yet he entered into it to redeem it. And he entered into it so that when you go to him in prayer and say like, man, my family is a dumpster fire right now, he can say, yep, I'm with you. I'm with you. Let me, let me just highlight a couple of things about Jesus' messy family. First of all, Abraham. Abraham's a good guy, right? Father Abraham in the bosom of Abraham. He's a saint, right? Yet, God promises him an heir, and Abraham jumps the shark. Can't quite wait all the way for the promise to be fulfilled. He has Ishmael from Hagar, and the Middle East has been at war ever since. Judah was the firstborn son of Jacob, and Judah is the father of Perez and Zerah, twins in Christ's lineage, by Tamar, his daughter-in-law. But it's not really Judah's fault completely. Forgive him, he thought she was just a prostitute. What? <laughs> like, this is insane. That's the lineage that Jesus comes from. Jesus... Later in the lineage, Salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab. 
the harlot in Jericho, who saved the spies. The women mentioned are either Gentiles or sinners, or sometimes both. God redeems all of it. Most of the dudes mentioned, not so great. Not so great. David the king, adulterer and murderer. And he begets Solomon by Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah. It wasn't the baby, the first baby died. She, the first baby that they conceived died. And then after David married Bathsheba, they had Solomon later. But, Sol- but David's heirs, he had two other heirs before Solomon, and they were bad dudes. I won't even get into that. And later in the line, later in the line, there's Ahaz, the king. Isn't that nice? He chased Elijah out into the wilderness, married Jezebel, right? And he sacrificed his own son in the fire. This is crazy. And yet, Ahaz was the father of Hezekiah, who was a righteous king. I can't make sense of it. It makes no sense. Seriously. And if you ever thought that your family didn't make any sense, you've got good company. But Jesus comes to redeem all of it. He doesn't come to excuse or justify our sins, but he comes to save us from them and to complete the story in a way that doesn't leave us rotting in the grave away from him for all eternity. From the Synaxarian, which we read in Matins, it says, In the Divine Liturgy we shall read of Jesus Christ's lineage from the Gospel of St. Matthew. And in this way the Church shows us that Christ truly became a man, taking on human nature. He was not a ghost, an apparition, a myth, a distant imagined God, or the abstract God of philosophers. Such a God does not have a family tree. Our God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, David and Jacob. He has flesh and blood, human ancestors, many of whom sinned greatly, but like David, repented greatly. And that's where the rubber meets the road. Our lives might be a mess, our family might be a mess, but we aren't supposed to stay there. We're supposed to repent. And if we repent, the Lord will redeem us. The Synaxarian goes on, Yet all of these righteous ones in every age had been well-pleasing to God because they loved Him. By taking on human nature, the Son of God became like us in all ways, in flesh and blood, in mind and soul, in heart and will. He differed from us in only one way. He could not sin. And since we know that Christ's human nature remains sinless, He is also fully divine, and He shows us the way in which we can avoid sin, and so improve and transform our human nature. Father Stephen Freeman says that when somebody in a family becomes a saint, it It transforms and redeems the family in seven different directions through the family tree. It's important to note that Jesus was also not merely a man, nor was he like a superman. He wasn't a demigod. He wasn't like Percy Jackson. He wasn't like Superman, half man, half amazing. He was fully God. The person of the Son of God took on human nature. A new person was not created 
A new subject was not created, but he took on human nature and experienced humanity the way that we do. Except he did it without sin. Why? Because God is with us. He says, I'm with you, and I want you to be with me. All those other things that we do at Christmas, the cookies, the ornaments, the trees, the presents, the carols, the everything, it's great. It's great. I love Christmas. It's awesome. Enjoy it. But enjoy it from the perspective of God with us. We always keep first things first. And the first thing is that even if the decorations were taken away and we had no carols and we had no presents, we had no cookies, we had no Grinch who stole Christmas movie, we had no whatever it is that your family looks forward to. If all of that was stripped away, you could still celebrate the joy of Christmas in the church with the Incarnation. Do not let your celebration of secondary things interfere with your worship of the primary thing, which is the Son of God and His incarnation. We worship Christ's incarnation because it is our salvation. Without the incarnation, without the nativity of Christ, there is no Pascha. There is no Pascha without God taking flesh. So, my plea to you is to keep it in perspective. When we say Christ is born, know what's behind that. That the anointed one, the Messiah, is coming to save us. That's why his name is Jesus, which means God saves his people. And when we say Christ is born, glorify him, let that faith ring deep in your bones and let it elicit a joy in you that cannot be taken away no matter what else is going on. Sickness, sorrow, death, pain, bad news here, there, whatever is going on in the world, God only knows. Do not lose the joy of Christmas, but hold on to the fact, the um, the unchanging eternal reality that God became man and dwelt among us and he is with us to save us. To Christ our God, the Savior of our souls, be all glory, honor, and worship together with the Father and the Holy Spirit now and ever and unto ages of ages. Amen. Christ is in our midst. He is and ever shall be. What follows was said after liturgy. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, I've got a couple of quick hitting notes that uh, did not get mentioned in the homily, but I think are relevant and interesting. Number one, we celebrate today, um, on the Sunday before Christmas, we celebrate Daniel the prophet and the three holy youths. Like they are especially mentioned um, uh, among those of the Old Testament who were righteous. And my question to myself was, why the three holy youths? And then I was reading the canon of preparation for Holy Communion. And this is what the eighth ode of that canon says. O ye works, praise the Lord God, 
who descended into the fiery furnace with the Hebrew children and changed the flames into dew and exalt him above all unto all ages. So if Christmas is about God with us, we're talking about the God who descended into the flames with the children. Is your life hard right now? Is your, do you have some suffering? Do you have some flames around you? Is the whole world going to hell in a handbasket? God is with us. He descends into the flames and changes it into dew. It through our faith. All right, note number two. At the end of the genealogy, it says Jesus was born, uh, uh, Joseph was betrothed to Mary, of whom was born Jesus. The Orthodox Study Bible has a note that says that phrase, of whom, uh, Mary, of whom Jesus was born, in Greek is feminine and specifically refers to Mary, not to Joseph. Specifically refers to Mary. So the virgin birth is there, the virgin conception is there in the Gospel of Matthew. But why was it Joseph's lineage and genealogy? Because the genealogy always came from the man's side and Mary was also of the tribe of Judah. So they shared a similar family tree. Okay? But that note, of whom? Jesus, uh, Joseph betrothed to Mary of whom Jesus was born, that phrase, of whom is feminine, referring to Mary. That's like next level stuff right there. Good job, St. Matthew. Way to go. All right, so those were, the, those were the extras that didn't make it into the homily. Thank you for, I didn't want to save them for next year. 